You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The SEC's inquiry into the SolarWinds incident may expose other unrelated data breaches. Researchers identify an IoT botnet responsible for DDoS attacks against a number of banks. German prosecutors have opened an investigation into the Ghostwriter campaign. Researchers look at the cozy, implausibly deniable relationship between Russia's security services and cyber gangs. A money launderer gets 11 years. David DeFore from WebRoot has straight talk about paying the ransom. Our guest is Jeff Williams from Contrast Security with a look at AppSec observability. Congratulations to the Cynet 16 winners. And we remember 9-11. Hard to believe it's already been 20 years. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, September 10th. 2021. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, best known by its acronym SEC, is investigating the solar winds incident, and Reuters reports that the inquiry is spooking some large U.S. companies who fear that the results of the probe will expose them to liability. Reuters says, quote, The SEC is asking companies to turn over records into any other data breach or ransomware attack dating back to October 2019 if they downloaded a bugged network management software update from SolarWinds Corporation, which delivers products used across corporate America, according to details of the letters shared with Reuters. It's the any other that's got companies spooked. They're unsure what the consequences may be if the inquiry turns up previously undisclosed data breaches. There may be some clarity forming around the distributed denial-of-service attacks that have hit organizations including Russia's Yandex, New Zealand's ANZ Bank, which went down again yesterday, according to the New Zealand Herald, and other targets in the U.S. and the U.K., Curator Labs today released a description of Maris, an IoT botnet with a quarter of a million devices. There have been larger botnets. Mirai, for one, had an excess of 300,000. But unlike its well-known predecessors, Maris relies on transmitting a high number of requests per second. The record describes the difference between Maris and the usual sort of DDoS attack like this, quote, Called volumetric or application layer DDoS attacks, RPS attacks are different because attackers focus on sending requests to a target server in order to overwhelm its CPU and memory. Instead of clogging its bandwidth with junk traffic, volumetric attacks focus on occupying servers' resources and eventually crashing them. End quote. Most of the devices exploited to form the botnet were networking gear from the Latvian vendor Mikrotik. Items include routers, IoT gateways, Wi-Fi access points, switches, and mobile networking gear. The record reports that sources tell it the target of the Yandex DDoS attack wasn't Yandex itself, but rather a bank that used Yandex's cloud services to host its e-banking portal. 
German prosecutors have opened an investigation into the ghostwriter campaign Berlin has attributed to Russian intelligence services, Der Spiegel reports. Germany's foreign ministry has warned that Russia will face unspecified consequences should the cyber espionage and election-related disinformation persist. Recorded Futures' Insect Group yesterday issued a report on what it calls the dark covenant between Russian intelligence services and cyber criminals. The security organs aren't directing the criminals, but the gangs operate at their sufferance and shape their operations and target selection to conform to their understanding of what those services want. It's too soon to tell whether U.S. carrots and sticks will inhibit the privateering, but the INSICT report thinks there are signs Russian President Putin is feeling some pressure to make a gesture in the direction of international good citizenship. The report's executive summary says, quote, The open assertion made by U.S. President Joe Biden that Russian cybercriminals are protected by the Russian government has placed Russian President Vladimir Putin on the defensive. The report adds that this is forcing Russian domestic law enforcement to demonstrate that they are cracking down on ransomware operators. U.S. cyber czar Chris Inglis cautions against expecting any quick Russian reform or a departure from long-standing Russian intelligence and security practices. He sees deterrence in cyberspace as complicated. It's not, he thinks, a problem we're going to shoot our way out of. A cyber criminal associated with North Korean hackers, Galeb Alamari, a native of Mississauga, Ontario, and 36 years young, has been awarded an 11-year sabbatical courtesy of the U.S. Bureau of Prisons. Mr. Alamari, who holds both U.S. and Canadian citizenship, took a guilty plea to two federal counts of money laundering. The U.S. attorney for the Central District of California explained that Mr. Alamari received funds from bank cyber heists and fraud schemes, and once the ill-gotten funds were in accounts he controlled, Alamari further laundered the funds through wire transfers, cash withdrawals, and by exchanging the funds for cryptocurrency. The funds included those from North Korean-perpetrated crimes, including the 2019 cyber heist of a Maltese bank, and the 2018 ATM cash-out theft from Bank Islami in Pakistan. Other victims of Alamari's crimes include a bank headquartered in India, as well as companies in the U.S., the U.K., individuals in the U.S., and a professional soccer club in the United Kingdom. Mr. Alamari's North Korean friends, the Hidden Cobra Gang, are generally held to be connected to the Lazarus Group, and to be stealing on behalf of the Kim regime in Pyongyang. He's thought to have collaborators elsewhere, too. One of his co-conspirators is allegedly the Nigerian social media star influencer Ramon Alarunwa Abbas, known by his hacker name Ray Hushpuppy, or just Hushpuppy for short. Mr. Puppy is also currently in U.S. custody. The sign at 16 were announced this week. This annual competition has for years brought some of the most promising startups in cybersecurity into the spotlight. This year's winners, in reverse alphabetical order, are Valtix, specialists in multi-cloud network security whose solution promises both simplicity and adaptability, Strata, which delivers enterprise identity management also for multi-cloud environments, Sevco Security, 
provider of asset inventory necessary for the dynamic self-awareness necessary to security, security with a final I, offering artificial intelligence solutions for security, privacy, governance, and compliance for multi-cloud, SaaS, and self-managed data systems, Perimeter 81, which has a secure access service edge platform designed to support a remote workforce. Pentera, an automated pen testing shop for safe emulation of attacks. Jupiter One, an asset management company that provides security context to cloud users. Inky, the Maryland-based anti-phishing company whose cloud-based artificial more-than-intelligence spots fraud and social engineering in email. Gray Noise, whose solution tells security practitioners what they don't have to worry about, saving labor by cutting down on false alerts and security noise. Grammatech, developer of software assurance tools and advanced cybersecurity solutions designed to ease the challenges of DevSecOps. For All Secure, which offers application testing intended to make developers' lives easier. Ermatic, whose solution offers multi-cloud continuous protection for users of AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. Sequence Security, who offers a complete API inventory and data leak protection solution. Baffle, a cloud data protection shop that offers data tokenization, de-identification, and database encryption to protect data from source to destination. Axis Security, a zero-trust, secure access service edge provider whose agentless solution enables secure employee access. App Omni, whose SaaS security management platform delivers visibility into security configurations, user permissions, and third-party apps. This year, Synet singled out three companies to watch, early-stage startups it regards as already adding value. Scythe, an adversary emulation platform, Deep Factor, which offers continuous AppSec observability, and Corsha, multi-factor authentication for machine-to-machine communications. Congratulations to all of them, winners and honorable mentions alike. The Synet 16 companies have over the years assembled an enviable record of success and a reputation for successful innovation, and the class of 2021 are likely to continue that tradition. And finally, tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of 9-11, Al-Qaeda's terror attacks against the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, attacks that took the lives of thousands in New York and Arlington and hundreds aboard the four airliners the terrorists hijacked and drove into the ground. Our CSO and senior fellow Rick Howard was in the Pentagon that day, and he's posted an essay on what he saw and how he remembers it. All of us old enough to remember the attacks have our own recollections of that day. Tomorrow, we'll be sparing a thought for those who died, both immediately and in the aftermath, and for the heroism of those who responded, both immediately and during the global war on terror that followed. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. 
In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Jeff Williams is CTO and co-founder at application security platform provider Contrast Security. They recently released the latest version of their application security observability report. Jeff Williams joins me to share what they found. Observability essentially means can we see what's going on inside an application? And we focus on security observability. So what we want to do is try to reveal what's going on inside applications from a security perspective. And, you know, it's kind of invisible to most people. You know, when you use your app on your phone or something to like, you know, send a check or something or check your balance or something, there's a ton of software. It's not just what's on your phone. It's on the backend APIs and web applications that are out, you know, running in the cloud somewhere. Uh, They connect to backend systems inside the bank. And that whole software ecosystem is really complicated. There's a ton of, of security defenses and unfortunately, a lot of vulnerabilities in that whole environment. So take us through some of the key findings here. I mean, what, what are some of the things that you discovered here? Yeah, so we discovered uh, 34% this year. Last year it was 26%. This year 34% of applications have serious vulnerabilities. And that is just a, a jump off the page, like, holy crap kind of statistic. <laughs> right. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's shocking that, you know, almost, a, th- a little over a third of applications have serious vulnerabilities and you know 30 and that the number is you know on average like you know around 30 vulnerabilities mm-hmm. that's a terrifying number i mean if if we were building airplanes and every time you did a, a safety check on the airplane you discovered 30 vulnerabilities and you know 34% of airplanes had these problems you you wouldn't fly <laughs> And so what are your recommendations here? I mean, how do people come at this issue? Well, from the big picture, I think it's important to understand that there's a risk. You know, first step to solving any problem is recognizing that there is one. So we need really good data, like the data in this report that drills into exactly what the problems are and where they live and, you know, starts us on, you know, detailed metrics that we can understand. So I think the first step is like, let's get a program in place that allows us to measure our code in our particular organization and understand what we got and then start improving that over time. 
And there's kind of three areas that I, I think are really important to focus on. The first is your custom code, making sure that the code you're writing doesn't introduce new vulnerabilities like you know the, the traditional kinds of application vulnerabilities, SQL injection, cross-site scripting, XXE, SRF. There's a whole you know, litany of these things. Mm. You have to put a program in place to make sure you identify those things and, and prevent them. The second thing is manage your open source supply chain. You're bringing in all this code, and it's allowing you to very rapidly produce awesome applications. But along with that code comes a responsibility. You've got to make sure that you're keeping it up to date and understanding where those libraries might have known vulnerabilities in them and updating your applications so that they're using safe versions of those libraries. And then the last piece is runtime protection. So you know, what we talked about so far was kind of in the development process and getting applications into production. But in production, you have to be able to see who's attacking you, what kind of attacks they're sending, and have some defense against those attacks in production. And you know, the, the average application that we saw, in, you know, there's details on this in the study, of course, but there's a, the average application has you know, over 13,000 attacks every single month. And you know, while 99% of those are what we call uh, probes, they don't really reach the vulnerability they were targeting, it's still a huge number. And you have to be aware of that. 1% is still a lot of attacks. That's Jeff Williams from Contrast Security. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear the full interview, head on over to CyberWire Pro and sign up for interview selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He's the Vice President of Engineering and Cybersecurity at WebRoot. David, always great to welcome you back. Um, you know, I think we go back and forth between the general advice that you should not pay the ransom, that paying the ransom is, is supporting a, a bad ecosystem. But then the flip side of that is that sometimes you got to get business back in business and that paying the ransom could be the quickest pathway to that. What's your take on this? Well, hey, David, it's great to be back. And here's what I think. I think you shouldn't pay the ransom because you've done all of your homework up front on how you're going to recover from a ransomware attack. So you're just going to execute that recovery plan. No need to pay the ransom. Hmm. Problem solved, right? 
<laughs> so, well, all right. Well, thanks for joining us, Dave. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the real world, uh, <laughs> so, go on. Right. So, honestly, I, I think you have to evaluate. Can you recover or at least get back to an operational state that, that gets you to close to normal? Or do you need to pay a ransom? It is literally, that's why they call it a ransom. And you have to make that choice as the leadership of that organization. And I don't think anyone has a right to tell you one way or the other uh, to not pay it. If you're going to, if your business is going to shut down, you got to pay this ransom, right? Yeah. Yeah. But are you coming at it from the point of view that you should do everything in your power planning wise, preparation wise, so that paying the ransom is the last resort? I, I am absolutely advocating that. I mean, uh, the the most recent attack uh, on the on the pipeline, uh, they paid you know a considerable amount and in, in the millions. And if they'd have just spent you know a tenth of that up front annually, they they would have protected themselves and their infrastructure, which was critical infrastructure to the U.S. So yeah, I think that we pay lip service to it, but we just don't spend the money to protect ourselves. Hmm. But what are your recommendations there in terms of those preparations? What are some of the things that organizations should be doing so that they don't have to pay the ransom? You know, it's it's the same old backup and and restore. Don't just back up your data and think it's good. You got to have a recovery process. You also have to um, make sure you're patching your your critical systems. You can't leave operational infrastructure that has Windows 95 computers that haven't been patched in the last 20 years sitting out there and not expect you're going to get hacked. You've got to be able to understand what you've got, what your exposure is, and 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 back it up. And then also, you know, David, I'm going to go down a little bit of a tangent here. If you are attacked, do you have a team that can communicate with these people? Do you do you have a plan in place? Not just how would you recover, but how are you going to how are you going to handle this? Are you just going to get your CISO on the phone? Are you going to call up the people that have hacked you? But what's your mm-hmm. plan there? There's a lot that, that needs to be taken into account um, outside of just your your internal planning on on, on how to address it. Well, and also we've got the whole thing with data exfiltration. I mean, it's not just about the files being locked up. You have to establish what exactly did they take. That's exactly right. And understanding that from a bigger picture. And that goes to, you know, understanding, you know, where they attacked, how how long the file lived there and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, we're seeing a lot more of this in our in our threat report. We saw a, a massive uptick in these type of attacks, which was good because we saw a downtick in other types of attacks. But that means this is where the money is. Hmm. But, but David, one thing I'm really going to go off on a tangent here. I think people need to be careful when they're patting themselves on the back because, you know, one of these attacks, the government got the money back. And, you know, the, the organization that, that attacked the pipeline, they all but apologized for doing that because they don't want you to know they're out there. They don't want to attack infrastructure. So I personally would not have shouted it from the mountaintops that, that we were able to get the some of the ransom back because I promise you, these folks are one annoyed, two very capable, and three going to make sure that never happens again. So, so <laughs> we, we need to be careful. I, I'm not saying we... we shouldn't protect ourselves. I'm not saying we shouldn't get things back, but we need to take a very humble approach to this, make sure we're doing the the work properly and try to protect ourselves because you can't go after these people. They they disappear like the wind. So I think people should calm down a little bit and not, if you're a government official, don't be all proud that you got some money back because I'm afraid it's going to come back to bite us on the next one. 
Hmm. Yeah. That's my opinion, yeah. by the way. No one <laughs> said that. No one. I, I got to say that right now. I believe yeah. that. No, so. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Great being here, David. That's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with John Hensinski from Expel. We're going to be discussing their research on stopping ransomware attacks aimed at WordPress CMS installations via drive-by downloads disguised as Google Chrome updates. That's Research Saturday. Do check it out. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Next week.